Hello, and welcome to Regime Change, the 24th episode in the Crossing Thin Ice podcast series, brought to you by Actuarial Risk Management. My name is Max Rudolph, and as always, I'm joined by Dave Ingram. We all have our definition of where we are geopolitically, economically, and technologically uh, at a current time, and the pandemic showed that other factors can also play a part. The concept of regime change helps us think about how these complex systems change over time and how strategies must evolve and anticipate them. This podcast will deviate from our typical format. Let us know if you'd like to see more podcasts like this. We hope the Crossing Thin Ice podcast series will help you with your ERM program and risk knowledge. Our program sometimes looks at specific risks and other times we'll consider aspects of risk management practice. By the way, nothing in today's podcast is intended to be investment advice. We are here to provide educational material on ERM topics without getting lost in the weeds. We hope that you will also take advantage of our complimentary quarterly newsletter and bi-weekly webcasts on a variety of risk management topics. Let's get started. Regime change is one of many names. During the first President Bush's era, many referred to the new world order, while others include paradigm shift, phase transition, and critical discontinuity. One that I have used is new normal or next new normal to point out that we already know the regime will shift again in, in the not too distant future. What happens when there's a regime change? A regime change can be major uh, or, or it can be uh, less, less totally disruptive. But in, in, a, in a total regime change, you find that all the old rules of thumb that you've been living by and that society has been operating under no longer work. Uh, you, you'll see that major industries will fall away the old example of the uh, the buggy whip manufacturers that just don't have a market anymore, but new industries will arise. Uh, and, and predominant thinking on a lot of major topics shifts uh, and, and people's mood changes. Hopefully uh, in, in our current situation is something more positive. What what countries in the world are the are the leading countries will will change, and in addition, uh, there might be major religious changes as well, uh, and and the whole path of economic progress may change in in a major regime change. The mathematical models that we all uh, as actuaries spend a lot of time on are are based on a lot of uh, approximations and simplifications of the real world. And so some or all of those models will stop working and and, and we'll have to start calibrating anew our our mathematical models. And, And as I said at the outset, those could be all happening at once, or one or two or three of those changes could be happening, uh, depending on on how how significant a regime change we're experiencing. One way to think of these regimes is through cycles, whether it be Kondratiev's long waves or the century-long cycles called turnings we see presented by Neil Howe. The important point of these is that history does not repeat, but it rhymes. Whether it is mean reversion or tendencies that tend to repeat, Neither extreme good or bad times stay for very long, and the astute strategist understands this. Let's talk about an example of a major regime change. I I think that the last major regime change that that the world has experienced happened uh, following World War II. 
we, we saw a major shift that had been coming for decades in the uh, energy that society was based on uh, to fossil fuels. And and uh, that 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 caused a, a huge jump in in productivity. We also saw a major shift in di- uh, demographics with the baby boom generation coming about, uh, which which represented almost a, a doubling in fertility in some countries. But and we also saw. Uh, a slow but continuous mortality improvement that went on for decades as antibiotics came into use and and as uh, eventually the uh, the ill effects of smoking on on mortality uh, became common knowledge in the economic front uh, we saw steady economic growth for decades uh, since then everybody points to the 1950s as the golden era but uh with with some uh punctuations by recessions there there's been pretty steady economic growth uh, almost the entire time since world war ii we we saw a, a major currency agreement with the bretton woods agreement the debt that uh, many countries had uh, gotten into because of the, the the war and of the depression before that the the, the growth took care of that uh, and, and nobody paid off their debt they grew out of it uh, and, and so that the debt became uh, much less significant as a percentage of GDP. We entered into a long period of what I would call geopolitical game theory. Uh, the other name for that is the Cold War, where different countries aligned on on one side or the other of, of the Iron Curtain. During the, the first uh, half or three quarters of that period, we were very naive about about climate change, uh, but there became a, a growing awareness of that in, in, in recent years, and we'll, we'll spend a good bit of time on that in a few minutes. Uh, technology as, uh, was a, a, a major disruptor in bringing about that change. Uh, a lot of the technology changes that came, uh, came into use following World War II uh, were things that were developed during wartime to advance the the war efforts. Uh, but when we entered into a peacetime economy, things like television, microwave, computers, space travel, medical advances, uh, such as uh, the uh, antibiotics that we recently mentioned, and, and, and air travel, uh, all, all became uh, ubiquitous. Today's regime, what I might call the next new normal, is driven in large part, but not entirely, by technology. We can work from home in many jobs, carry small computers in our pockets stronger than those used to land Apollo 11 on the moon, can connect simultaneously anywhere in the world, use medical knowledge to extend lives and survive many diseases and injuries. In addition, the United States is a capitalistic democracy. Inequality is increasing. Monoculture farming using tractors and drones increases yields, but also food insecurity risk. And we're transitioning from fossil fuels to renewable power sources. Are you challenged to meet your need for actuaries? Actual risk management can help. ARMS Data Modeling Institute, or DMI, is a team of talented and experienced modeling actuaries working with an extensive bench of senior consultants. ARM will partner with you to shift all or part of your actuarial and modeling needs to the DMI at a significant cost savings without sacrificing integrity. 
Contact ARM today about how the DMI's modeling evaluation services can help position you and your company for tomorrow's challenges. So our main point here today is that we think that we are inevitably rolling towards a, a new um, regime change. Max and I researched this for for several months earlier in 2023, and eventually we looked at about 20 different possible uh, drivers of this change, and we settled on a, a list of about 13 of those 20 uh, that we think are the uh, the disruptors that that are are causing this next regime change. Let, let me just summarize a couple of them, and then we're going to focus down on on just a few as we the ones we think are the the most important. First one I'll mention is is pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic was a major disruptor to human society. Uh, we are trying to go about our business now it, almost as if it didn't happen, but it, it did happen. Uh, it was a big surprise to almost everyone. Uh, there were big jumps in uh, illness and, and deaths caused by the pandemic. And the, the whole experience of masks and lockdowns and work from home Un unemployment that was caused by the lockdowns were all major disruptive experiences for many, many, many people. The, the next uh, current disruptor that, that we looked at was inflation. Inflation reared its head uh, in most countries for the first time in almost 40 years. We've also started to see some climate transition effects, and we think those effects will be growing Things like stranded assets, where there are, are things that uh, might be very valuable today, but could be uh, have a very low value in the future. You'll also see climate transition effects in, in the to the extent of hardening of of coastal habitations uh, and and uh, distortions caused by uh, by by tax benefits that are given to to different activities and any other incentives. We've also heard a lot of talk about globalization de uh, decline. Certainly, uh, the amount of global global trade was uh, much reduced during COVID's first wave. After COVID, we've seen uh, that come back, but in a more regionalized pattern of trade. Uh, and and we also see the the heavy use of uh, of different uh, blockades of, of countries due to the. Uh, the wars that have that have uh, risen up recently that is a, a a major divergence from the pattern of the last 50 years where we saw globalization expanding uh pretty steadily decade by decade the next issue we looked at was china china is experienced seeing a, a massive uh, demographic shift uh, decades of their one child policy has a a long tail to it, even though they've stopped that policy. Chinese population uh, probably has already peaked, so th there will be quite a lot of ramifications of that. We, we are looking at at the effect of that population, uh, which will decline uh, slowly over forty or fifty years. So uh, there will be some major changes uh, in China and and in China's effect on the world because of that change in population. Uh, China is also experiencing uh, 
a, certainly a, a later stage of a real estate bubble. We saw what that did to a lot of the uh, Western economies in 2008. Uh, maybe China will navigate it better than we did, uh, but maybe not. What we see in general is that the Chinese GDP growth, which has led the world, will continue to be higher than the average of the rest of the world. Uh, it's expected to be half the rate of, of what it was in the past 50 years. Uh, a couple more attitudinal shifts due to COVID. Uh, some of the things that are becoming standard in people's attitude towards uh, work-life balance and are a result of, of attitude shifts during COVID. I think also uh, there's a higher recognition among folks of the uncertainty of, of the world. People realize COVID came up out of nowhere. We didn't expect it. And something else could come up and disrupt things again. So uh, we, we, we live with that uh, uncertainty and, and that's changing the way we approach a lot of things. Geopolitically, the rise of populism uh, is continuing. Uh, we've seen elections just in the last couple of weeks where uh, populist uh, politicians have been elected in several countries around the world. Uh, we expect that's going to lead, unfortunately, to worse treatment of minorities in many places uh, and, and more internal and external conflicts, uh, less trust between peoples and between countries and within countries which ultimately should mean less trade uh, with extreme political views pre prevailing. Another of these disruptions is uh, the idea that we've shifted from a demand-driven to a supply-constrained economy. The fact that in many countries there are still huge backlogs of unfilled jobs uh, means that uh, in, in a lot of uh, places the production struggles to get back to pre-pandemic levels. And so uh, that causes things to be supply uh, constrained. Uh, we we don't know uh, how that in the long term is going to affect the economy. We haven't lived with a supply constrained economy uh, in, in, in my, my memory. Other things such as immigration restrictions and aging and the conflicts between nations are going to affect that uh, that supply constraint as well. An another one of these disruptors uh, is is the rise of India. You, you may have seen the news in the last six months saying that India has surpassed China as the most populous country in the world. It's continuing to grow, and while, as I mentioned, China's predicted to have its its population drop slowly, India is still projected to grow for a number of decades. Long-term extrapolations uh, for India show it that growth slowing down, uh, and 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 maybe even going into a decline uh, some time from now. Both population and GDP will be growing in India, uh, but there's still a lot of structural barriers to growth in India. There's still 50% of the population that is employed in very low productivity agriculture. They are working to reduce them, uh, but still they're not hitting goals they've set for themselves in growing manufacturing, but they are seeing strong growth in, in the tech sectors. After we whittled down our list of disruptions to 13, it was still too bulky to work with. So we picked four to focus on, climate, debt, demography, and technology. 
Let's look at each of these four disruptions and highlight something about each of them, uh, picking from historical, recent, and future periods. For the direct effects of climate, since the ice age, Earth's climate has been stable with cyclical temperature changes rarely over half a degree. Recently, the atmosphere and oceans have been warming. Livability in hot temperatures is an issue in some locations, and, and sea level rise is impacting many in low-lying areas as, as coast retreat and hurricanes and convective storms cause crater damage. Livability in hot temperatures is an issue in some locations, and sea level rise is impacting many in low-lying areas as, as coast retreat and hurricanes and convective storms cause greater damage than, than we've seen previously. In the future, money spent to repair damaged infrastructure or hold back the impacts of an increasingly changing climate can't be spent elsewhere for things like education, health, or widening of the safety net. A second one of these top four is debt. Uh, there was very high government spending uh, and, and increases to money supply in, in, in very many countries during the pandemic. And, and in addition, at the same time, uh, there was high corporate uh, borrowing due to low interest rates. Uh, the IMF projects the, the level of uh, government debt to GDP to be very high going forward. Uh, they're, they're expecting the advanced economies to, to average uh, over 110% of GDP as their government debt, uh, and with low to middle income countries uh, averaging between 45 and 70%. And the G7, the top economies, uh, averaging all the way up at 127%. That, that's just amazing to me, as for a long time, uh, many people thought that something in the range of 90 to 100% of GDP uh, was, a, was a barrier that if you crossed it, there were extremely negative consequences. But as, as Max just said, debt crowds out other spending and investing. Uh, so uh, that, that's going to be a, a major problem uh, in, in the ability of government to fund uh, any of the, uh, the changes that are needed uh, to, to meet any of the challenges that we've just mentioned. In addition, the high corporate debt and, and certainly the uh, personal debt often leads to bankruptcies, which uh, is extremely disruptive in and of itself. Some say that demography is destiny. And much of tomorrow's distribution by age, sex, and other characteristics are, are pretty much known today. Many recent college graduates will, will actually see the next century. Fertility is down and below sustainable levels in, in many countries, meaning they can only grow through immigration. The old age dependency ratio, comparing the number of elderly to the number working, is expected to increase over time, with the ratio nearing one retiree for each worker in China before 2100. That's, that's just incredible. Um, Sub-Saharan countries like Nigeria will have excess population for many years, while India will overtake China before peaking. As we discuss these factors, I'm sure it has become obvious to you that interactions between them will also be important to manage. Think of an aging country with high debt where extreme weather events occur regularly. It's not hard to develop challenging scenarios. I've written papers where we had to agree only to mention a Mad Max scenario once. But there is hope. Our last disruptor has historically left mankind better off. 
And that leads us to our last major disruptor of technology. And while almost all the stories we've been telling uh, for the last few minutes have been negative, uh, this is one that, that we, we certainly hope is uh, will be positive. We, we think that in the future, there's a number of technologies that are either already in existence or uh, are in late stages of development uh, that uh, that will be positive, such as artificial intelligence, quantum computing, gene technology, grid batteries, extended reality, 3D printing, and human-computer interfaces. We think these new uh, technologies, though, will lead to changes in employment, and, and some people will be on, on the, uh, the the negative end of that, but many will, will see positive changes in, in their jobs and, and their opportunities. We think it'll, it'll lead to changes in capabilities of, of our economies, but some old businesses will fail as, as they have in the past, uh, as technologies change. But new industries and new companies will arise that will be able to exploit these new technologies, hopefully for a positive impact on, on society. Uh, we, we think some of these changes will lead to improved health and longevity for people, uh, lower harmful emissions, and, and, and more and better uh, online learning. I mentioned cycles earlier, and one fairly well-known conjecture is, is called the Strauss-Howe generational theory, where each century is broken into four generations, and they proceed through time in predictable ways. Long story short, every 80 to 100 years, there's a tumultuous time, and we've entered this period about 10 or 15 years ago. Previous fourth turnings corresponded to, in the U.S. to the Revolutionary War, Civil War, and World War II. Following that would be expected a time of prosperity, although the limited number of data points tells me to broaden preparation beyond the happy outcome. Here's some possible storylines over the next decade. Climate refugees, increased novel zoonotic diseases like flu and COVID, greater financial uncertainty due to high debt levels, possible isolation policies and populism. Beyond that, even if there is relative peace and stability, it seems hard to imagine that there will not be lasting impacts from climate change, such as forced migration. We all live within a complex web of physical, political, economic, and social systems. Those systems are each their own complex adaptive system. These systems exist for long periods of time within their own guardrails that we have called a regime. Today, we've given you a brief view of the forces that we believe have been and will continue to put extreme pressure on each of these four systems, and we believe will fairly soon drive each of them outside the guardrails that we have lived with for many years. We believe that this will result in the development of a new regime, which these systems will establish a new pattern that we hope will be positive for human life and will persist for a decade or more. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Crossing Thin Ice presented by Actuarial Risk Management. If you found it valuable, please like, subscribe, and share with your colleagues.